Amen. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises shall continuously be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I just want somebody in here to exalt Jesus with me. That's a cute praise, but can you actually exalt the name that is above all names? Come on, worship Jesus in this room. Amen. It is a delight and honor to be gathered with the people of God, celebrating the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. Amen. I know y'all already stood up, but can I just get a mother to just wave or say hey or do something so I can know who you are? Amen. It is good to, to see you all here. Uh, happy Mother's Day to you. We honor, we honor our mothers. Uh, when, when I think about Eve, you know, Eve was called in chapter 3 of Genesis. She was called the mother of all living things, and she never even had one child yet. She didn't have Cain and Abel until chapter 4. And so there is something in all of uh, our women that is nurturing and that is, that is motherly. And I know this is a complex day. I get it. You know, some of us are, uh, we have mothers that we grew up with. Some of us have dysfunctional relationships with our mothers. Uh, some wish that they could be a mother and they're still waiting on that and waiting on the Lord and pursuing the Lord about that. And uh, nevertheless, we want to celebrate and honor all of our mothers, all of our ladies today. Well, I, I missed you guys. I was out last week. I was in Indiana and... <laughs> Preaching, I was preaching at a church out there, and uh, it, it's good to, as I said a few weeks ago, to get away. I am back in the pulpit for a while now. I don't have anything, I don't have anything scheduled, and uh, I, I really do, man. I hate being gone on Sunday mornings. I'm, I'm like, I'm, ch I'm stalking all the Insta stories, and I'm checking everything out, and I'm trying to, you know, figure. I'm texting people saying, "What's going on? What's going on first? What's going on in second? And so it, it is. Good. Tasha said, "Amen." She gets the text messages. Uh, but but it's good to be here. Good to be back. Pastor Kurt certainly held things down last week. Amen. And as uh, as Timmy said, uh, Pastor Kurt preached his pants off. Uh, but it, it really is good to know that I can be away and know that the gospel is still being proclaimed and that the gospel is still being uh, preached. And one of the things I know about last week, I, I listened to the podcast and was deeply ministered to. And one of the things I know about last week is that Pastor Kurt kind of just threw up an alley-oop uh, toward the end of it. And, uh, and so one of the worst things to do is to miss an alley-oop. So let's get into Romans chapter 3 and try to complete this thing. Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're continuing on with our series today uh, through the book of Romans. In fact, you should celebrate because we're finishing chapter 3 today. And that's a, that's a big deal. Whenever you're going through a book of the Bible, one of the things we try to do is we try to celebrate milestones. And one of the milestones is always completing a chapter. It's almost similar to going through, uh, to working on a degree and completing a semester. You, you're not pulling out the cap and gown yet, but, but you are celebrating that there's a season of complete, you know, completeness. And so we are finishing chapter three today. Please stay plugged in. Please stay in tune with what we uh, we'll be get going through in the book of Romans. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 is some good stuff in there. In fact, we're highlighting uh, that there's a theme that runs through chapter 4 and chapter 5 about uh, how our salvation and how we are accepted is by faith alone. That runs through chapter 4 and chapter 5. And so we're going to do some creative things. Stay tuned. We're going to do some creative things to make sure we're highlighting the theme that Paul is highlighting in those two chapters. Uh, but today we're in chapter 3. Why don't you pick me up in verse 21? Starts with two great words. But now, 
Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him, meaning Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over sins previously committed. Somebody should thank God for grace right there. Verse 26, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declared righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by the law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified from faith, by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, the Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Look at the answer. Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. I want to preach from two words that are being lifted up right from verse 21. But now. Let us look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Lord, we're back at it again. Our desire is to work through your word so that we can get the nutrients out of it. Your word really is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. And so, Lord, would you illuminate areas in our life that are dark? Would you illuminate those areas in our lives that we are trying to wrestle through and trying to make decisions on? Father, would you just make things clear today in your word? May Jesus be proclaimed. May he be preached. Father, I thank you that every single week we don't have to guess if Jesus in the gospel is going to be proclaimed, but that there's an expectation set in the room that Jesus will be preached. Not my opinion, but your word through Jesus Christ. So, Father, would you, would you illuminate that today in your word? In Christ's name, we give all glory and all honor. Amen. Amen. But now, one of the things that all of us in this room have in common is that all of us have a past that is marked by decisions that we've made that we wish we hadn't have made. All of, us have the, all, of, all of us have those decisions that if we, could, if we, could, if we had a do-over button, we'd hit do-over to reset things back. All of us have those decisions that have marked our past by a, a certain level of griminess. Some of us have pasts that include sexual promiscuity. Some of us have a past that includes drugs and addictions, and some of you in this room are still dealing with the consequences of some of the decisions that you have made. And here's what I know, you know, as I'm talking about the past, some of you don't got to think back that far. So some of those decisions is what you've made last night and what you've made this week and the week before. And so all of us in this room have those decisions that we've made, and you have one or two things that you can do with those decisions that you've made. You can either allow them to define and shape who you are and shape what your future looks like, or you can pursue God to get to that one moment where you can seek reconciliation, you can seek restoration, you can seek deliverance, you can seek sanctification. Yeah. 
where you can begin to grow to look like Jesus. And Jesus never saved you with, with, with the intent that you would live in bondage. He never saved you with the intent that you would live in bondage to your past sins. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says it this way. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He never saved you so that you walk in bondage, but in liberty and in freedom. And many of us in this room, those decisions have held us down. Many of us in this room, those decisions have held us back from moving forward in our relationship with the Lord. And I know you're sitting here going, I didn't bring my mama here today to talk about this, but the greatest gift to mama today is for you to walk in freedom. The greatest gift for mama today is for you to not live in that cycle of sin. And I don't want to assume that you walked in here today and you're not, you don't have a baggage with you. I want to assume that you actually do have baggage. So we come to a passage today. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 all the way to 31, where Paul is now giving the church at Rome hope. He is now encouraging the church at Rome. And what I love about Paul is he ain't got to talk much to encourage them. He does it in two words. Look with me at verse 21. Look at the two words. I'm not going to go far. But now, is that in your Bibles? It is very clear that Paul here in these two words is marking a significant transition in their life. Why? Because stay with me. Chapter one, he beat them up. In chapter one, he listed out all of the sins that were going on amongst the Gentiles. Remember in chapter one, he said, listen, you are full of envy and you are full of murder and full of deceit and gossip and pride and arrogance and homosexuality. And you are disobedient to parents. You are boastful. You are unmerciful. And at the end of chapter one, the Jews could clap and be like, get the Gentiles, beat them up. But then Paul is like, wait, 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 wait. I got a chapter two for you, Jews. You are self-righteous. You are hypocritical. He said you preach, but you don't live up to what you're preaching. He said you said don't don't steal, but you yourselves steal. Many of you say don't commit adultery, but you yourselves commit adultery. And on and on and on in chapter one and in chapter two, Paul beat them up for their sins. And what I love is we get to verse 21 and oh, he changes the trajectory. He says, but now. And what I love about that is many of you in this room are stuck in chapter one. Many of you in this room are stuck in the sins of chapter two. But my hope and my prayer all week long is that you would move out of chapter one and chapter two and get to a 21 and say, but now. And here's what I know the past that you were held bondage to. Some of you are holding yourselves to it. And some of you, it's not you holding yourself to it, but it's the friends around you. There are some people that will never let you live past chapter 21, chapter one. There are some people in your life that will never let you live past the decisions that you've made. And they'll never they only know you based on how they met you. But you need to change your friends. You need to go to those friends and say, I know I used to do that. Like, listen to me. I know I used to be trifling. I know, I know I used to be messed up. I know I used to be cutthroat. But I got to verse 21 where Paul says, but now. Some of you in this room, it's not that you used to be. You're, you're in the midst of that cycle of sin. As he talked about pridefulness and homosexuality and disobedient to parents and all of these uh, uh, and, and self-righteousness and hypocrite. As he talked about all of this stuff, what I know is we need to get out of chapter one. We need to get out of chapter two because we are sinking deep in sins. As my grandmother would say, far from the peaceful shores. 
We are sinking in a life of sin. And uh, listen, can I rebuke the room just a little bit? Can I pastor today? I missed y'all. So let, let me pastor a little bit today. One of the things I noticed with this new uh, age, modern church and progressive church and millennial church, we're full of young people. We like, yo, this church is dope. You know, the pastor wears cut up jeans. I can wear whatever I want. I can bring coffee in. I can chill. I can, you know, it, they, they bump music and the beginning of church. And it's just such a cool vibe. And what we've done is what we've done is we've lowered the standard of sanctification, but we raised the standard of just saying, listen, I look like the world, so I'm cool. But in reality, God always is pursuing sanctification in your life. Listen to me. Do not come into this modern age church and think that God doesn't want you to look like Jesus. Listen, wear your cut ups. I'm not telling you not to do that. But what I am saying is wear your cut ups, but I have something on the inside. Then you're not dressing up the outside. God is asking you today. He's pursuing sanctification. He's pursuing obedience. And I know what we'll do. We'll come in here. And we'll be like, ah, I know he's talking about sin, but don't nobody in this room know about my sin. I'm able to slip in and slip out. But God is coming. He's coming down your street today because he wants you out of chapter one and he wants you out of chapter two. And he wants you to get to the point of but now. And many of us should rejoice over these two words because these two words are the most beautiful words in all of the book of Romans because they show us that there is still hope despite the fact that I've made bad decisions. And so the question you should be asking is, but now what? I love we don't got to make this up. Look at verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is revealed through faith to all who believe since there is no distinction. What, what I love about this is Paul lists up two details here, the two very, very important themes in verses 21 and 22, and that is the law and God's righteousness. The law and God's righteousness is the highlight of verse 21, and it's the highlight of verse 22. And the reason why I love this is because the law and God's righteousness actually go hand in hand, because what the law does is the law reveals to us how righteous God is. The law reveals to us how holy God is. But unfortunately, we've looked at the law in a skewed way. We've looked at the Old Testament laws as a as a, a college student would look at a, as at a syllabus. And we say, as long as I do this stuff, me and God are cool. But that's a skewed view of understanding the law. Like the law was never given as a list that you had to keep in order to maintain a relationship with God. The Old Testament law was given as a list that you couldn't keep to show you why you needed Jesus. The law was given as a list for us to look at and be like, God, you are that holy. But it also shows you that you're not that holy. Because here's the reality. Y'all know we're not good at list keeping. Y'all know we're not good, even though many of us in here will try to earn a relationship with God based on how well we keep the law. And that leads to two things. Pride, I'm killing the list or despair. I'm not doing good with the list. But can I prove to you that you can't keep the law? There are over 600 laws in the Old Testament. Here's what I know. 90 percent of us in this room don't know 90 percent of the laws. 600 laws. But forget that. Let's just deal with 10. Deal with. The Ten Commandments, you don't even uphold entry-level morality. Like, God is like, you know how basic the, 
Don't kill nobody. And we can't uphold that. Like, don't have another God before me. And we can't uphold that. Adam and Eve had one rule, don't touch this tree, and they couldn't uphold it. Why? Because we're not good at keeping lists. We're not good at keeping rules. And so when I read this passage, I understand God's, God's list keeping, the, 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 the law that he shows in the Old Testament is to point me towards how righteous God is. It shows me the standard, and none of us in this room are able to keep it. I know what you're doing right now. I, I know it. I feel it. Some of you in this room are saying, I can keep some of them, though. I, I, I ain't never killed nobody. But doesn't Jesus take that from us? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said not to commit murder. He's quoting the law. But then he says, but I say, if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder. So Jesus is like, even the one that you think you got, you ain't got. Because I know all of us in this room have harbored anger in our heart. I walked in this morning, and two people were arguing. I said, there it is right there. I'm not even kidding. Like anybody that's ever driven a car, you've already committed murder. Let's y'all know road rage is real. Anybody in this room that's ever been in a, a marriage or a, a relationship that's a deep covenant, you know that we have anger in our heart. And so what Jesus says is Jesus says anger, uh, murder isn't based on the act. Murder is based on anger in your heart. And so he pulls that one from you. You don't even get a 90 on the test. Like, like you do understand that. So, so what he does is my, my father used to do this game where he would open his hand. He'd put a piece of candy in it when I was a kid. And I'd go to try to grab the candy. He'd close his hand. And I always attempted it. I was like, this is going to be the time I, I get the candy. And he closed. That's what Jesus just did to you. You think you, got, you, think you, don't, you didn't murder nobody. And he closes his hand because you don't even get that one. But just, let's just say, let's just say that you're able to keep one of them. Just one. And, and you're like, you know what? God should accept me because I got a 90. I kept nine out of 10 and therefore he should accept me. But our God is holy and our God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't give 90s. It's 100 or zero. That's it. That's the only two grades that the Lord God uh, in heaven is able to operate under. He doesn't give. Can, can I prove this one to you as well? Look at what he says. Look at what James says in James chapter two. In James chapter two, he says, that if you fail at one point of the law, you're accountable for it all. In other words, if you think you got a 90, you actually got a zero. Because God is so holy, he's not looking for almost good. He's not giving an A for effort. What he's looking for is perfection. And if you ain't got the perfection, you got a zero. But what I love about Jesus, this is why the law is so important. This is why the law is important. The reason why the law is important, because in that moment, I see God's holiness. I see my sinfulness, but I see my savior. The reason I see my savior is because Jesus came on the scene and he 100 percent kept every single law. There's not a law he ever broke. And when he goes to a cross, he takes your zero, gives you his hundred and you get to walk around with an A plus like you killed the list. And none of you have killed the list. I have not killed the list. Here, here I'm go deeper. The babies in the, ba in the kids room and keep the list. Y'all know these babies is cute sinners. That's what they are. They, they'll bite you in a second. They'll snatch that toy and say, mine, they are cute. All of us, all of us fall short of list keeping. But Jesus does not fall short. 
Jesus is, he, 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 he's not weak in his ability to save us. And so I look at the law today and I'm like, you know what? This law does, it, it gives me hope because I can look and see God's holiness. But I also can look internally and see that I can't keep it. And here's the thing. You can keep it sometimes. But God's not looking for you to keep it sometimes. He's, he's so holy. You got to keep it from birth to death. 100% all the time. Can we just do it real quick? Has anybody ever kept it like 100% all the time, every time? Okay, we're going to call an altar call in the middle of sermon right there because you're a liar. <laughs> what I know is we don't keep lists. We don't do it. We don't do it well. And so I rejoice over my Savior because my Savior keeps the list, but he gives it to us. And so what we can do in this moment is we can either, we can either rejoice in the work that Jesus Christ had done or we can continue to try to earn God's love through list keeping. Listen, aren't you exhausted from trying to perform for God? Look, look at what he says here. Because the question then becomes, how in the world are we saved then? If you're telling me I can't keep that list that I was banking on, I was banking on standing before the Lord and be like, here's my list and I kept all of it, but I didn't keep that. If we're not accepted on that, how are we accepted? Look at what he says here, verse 22. The righteousness of God, do you see this, is through faith. Does it say works? It says it's through faith. In fact, he doesn't just say it here in verse 22. He says it five times. He says that in verse 22 that it's through faith. He says it in verse 25. He says that it's through faith. He says it in verse 26 that it's faith in Jesus. He says it in verse 28 that we're justified by faith. He says it in verse 30. He said that it's by faith. And then he says the uncircumcised, it's through faith. Faith, salvation has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And my question to you is, if Paul is saying that salvation is by faith alone, why are you still trying to perform for God? Why are you still trying to earn what is freely given to you in faith? And one of the things I know about performing for God is Jesus has already performed. And one of the things about Jesus' performance is it was so spectacular that all of heaven gave him a standing ovation. And listen, listen to me. You should never try to perform after somebody that performed and had a standing ovation. My, my first concert I ever went to, my grandmother took me to it. My grandmother was about that life. She lived in Harlem. And she took me to a concert. It was DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. And it was raw bass. And then there was, a, there, was a, there was some local artists that nobody knew, but they were trying to get on. And so they put them on, uh, on, this, uh, on this concert as well. The promoter must have didn't know how to actually do a concert well because he put as the opening act DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Spring. You don't put them as an opener, but he put them as an opener. And the second group that went up or the second person that went up was Rob Bass. Now, this ain't like 2000 Rob Bass. This is 1988 Rob Bass when... It takes two to make a things go right, just drop. Now, my grandmother got up on a chair. She was like this. She was whipping it. She took her wig off and was doing, she was doing her thing. But the reason she did that is because when that bass dropped, she felt something in her. But after Rob Bass went, they put the local artists on. Everybody in the room left. Nobody stayed except their family members and the people that support them. But, but that is what you and I are like trying to perform after Jesus. After Jesus killed his set, why are we still trying to perform for God? When God looks down on, on the judgment seat and he sees you trying to perform, he's laughing like, yo, Rob Ace just killed this. 
but you're still trying to perform for me. Don't perform. Listen, it's freely given to you. It's, it's, it's a gift that is given to you, and all you have to do is receive it. How to receive it? He says it five times. By faith. By faith. By faith. And I'm, I'm going to just put myself on blast. Even though I know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, I often revert back to trying to earn it. Is, is anybody, can you be honest that that is your testimony? That you know, you know that Jesus Christ has done the work, but you feel like the cross was weak, so you need to help God out. But, but you, you need to have, you know what faith is? I looked at the definition. It's having complete confidence in something or someone. I got complete confidence in Jesus. Listen, if this thing ain't by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, I'm in trouble. If God stands before me and be like, nah, you actually supposed to work, but I banked everything on Jesus, I'm in trouble because I got complete confidence that the cross accomplished exactly what he said it would accomplish. So Paul is saying, listen, throw that silly list of law keeping away to earn his love. It's already earned for you. And so we operate differently. We don't keep the law in order to be saved. We do it because we are saved. Because what we'll do is, you know, a millennial church like this, preaching about grace alone, we'll use that as a license to say, oh, I don't got to keep any laws. But Paul corrects us. Look at verse number 31. Watch what Paul says here. Do we nullify the law through faith? In other words, because we've believed in faith, can we just do away with the law? Here's the answer. Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul essentially is saying, listen, he's asking a a rhetorical question here. He's not trying to get an answer. He's trying to give them the answer. And so what he's saying then is, now that we know that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, can we just take all of those laws in the Old Testament and throw them out? Paul says you can't do that. The reason we can't do that is because it is still useful. It is not useful to earn salvation, but it is useful for two reasons. Number one, we don't throw the law away because Jesus himself said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And once Jesus fulfills it, he has righteousness in order to give to you. If we do away with the law, Jesus ain't got nothing to give to you. But he goes on the cross and says, I done killed it. I done walked this earth for 33 years, never disobeyed the law, never disobeyed my father, but I can give that to you. So that's the number one reason why we don't do away with the law is that Jesus fulfills it. It's not done away with, it's fulfilled. But, but the second reason we don't throw it away is because it restrains my craziness. In other words, the law stops me from being a fool. Okay, y'all not going to be honest. If there were no laws, if God gave no laws, he never gave any commandments, and you were able to do what you want, you would shoot the two people that was arguing this morning would have killed each other because there's no laws to restrain you, and they would have been justified in doing it. The reason I don't cuss you out is because in Exodus and Leviticus, there are laws that restrain my craziness. The reason I give generously to God is because There are laws in Malachi and in Leviticus that stop me from being stingy. Do you know how stingy I would be? I'm not I'm not joking. I'm so sick. Do you know how stingy you would be if God never said do this? Now, we don't do it because we're cursed with a curse. No, because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Curse is he that hung on a tree. So you ain't cursed with a curse. We obey God's law in giving because of the gospel. 
Do you understand that it restrains my crazy? Look at your neighbor and just say, the law restrains my craziness. Look at somebody else and say, I would act a fool if the laws wasn't there. Look back behind you and say, I'd cuss you out if the laws weren't there. I need y'all to be honest in this room. Because y'all know. Y'all know we crazy. But the laws, the laws are able to keep us. That, that's why, you know, where the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That doesn't tell you if somebody takes out your eye that you should take out one of their eyes. What it's, redo- what it's doing is restraining your craziness because he knows if somebody takes your eye, you'll want two. So he's like, listen, only one eye for one eye. In other words, he restrains how foolish we can be. So the law is useful. So Paul is like, listen, is the law, is the law nullified through faith? And Paul is like, no, it's not nullified. He said, absolutely not. It is upheld. So the reason I can look more like Jesus is because there are laws that help me to look like Jesus. Now, you'll never keep all of them 100%, but we should be striving. Don't use it as an excuse to do whatever you want. Don't use the fact that you're not able to always keep the law as an excuse to go out and live any old way you want. God is requiring sanctification from this room. I woke up this morning and, and I started praying over our church. And I said this to some of you. There was just some of your faces came up and there was a dark cloud over you. There's a dark cloud. You know why there's a dark cloud? Because nobody knows about the foolishness and the sin you're in. And I would not be your pastor if I didn't tell you come out from that sin because God wants sanctification. God wants you not to chuck the law, but actually try to look more like Jesus because Jesus was able to keep it. And even where you fail, grace is there. But grace is in the, the ability to do whatever you want. And so Many of you in this room, you know, my fear is that you'll walk out of here and you'll stay in chapter one. My fear is that you'll walk out of here and you'll stay in chapter two. But you need to move to verse. There is life in verse 21 that it says, but now. Who is that person in here that you walked in today and you know you got us fooled? Like, I ain't going to lie. I don't know your business. I don't claim to be prophetic. That God didn't show me, you know, your, your whole life. But I do know that all of us, I've done it before. I've walked in church under sin and nobody knew. And I knew how to do the church thing. I knew how to raise my hand. I knew how to say amen. But why do we play these games when God knows, when God sees? So who is that person in here that needs to get to verse 21? But, but now. And what I know about that but now is that you need to walk in obedience right now. Tomorrow's not promised. Like, what a gift for, ma- for mama that you say, you know what, today I'm walking in obedience. Who is that person in here? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I, I-, I want to pray. You know, we use this moment as a transitional moment where we just transition right to the next thing. We just got to get to the next thing because there's another service. But I want to slow the pace down for a second. And I want to pray for you. The one that is in chapter one, one that is in chapter two, And you can't seem to get out. Your friends around you have held you in a place of sin and dysfunction. It's become functional dysfunction. And you fooled us all. You're serving. You're giving. You're at small group. You're a leader. But you need to get to butt now. 
Whoever that is, we don't got time. Let's not play games. Can y'all come down to this altar? If you would say, that's me, I need to get it right with the Lord because I know I fooled everybody in the church. I see you coming. Come up here if that's you. Come on down. Come on down. Let's thank God for those that are coming. There's more of you. You've been hiding. You've been hiding. You've got us fooled. You got your wife fooled. You've got your husband fooled. But you don't have the king of kings fooled. And he wants obedience. He wants you out of chapter one. He wants you out of chapter two. He wants you to move from, you know, in chapter one, he gives over 21 indictments against the Gentiles. Read the list when you get home. Chapter two, he hammers them for maybe not outward sins, but for inward self-righteousness. Some of you see, when I said that you need to get it right, you need to get the butt now, you only thought about outward sins. But some of you need to repent of self-righteousness. Some of you need to repent of living life on your own and not submitting under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for everybody on this altar. Father, look at this altar. I see young men, toddlers, young children on the altar today. Father, I pray. Pray, oh God, that you would help us to walk in the newness of life. Doesn't matter how young we are. Doesn't matter how old we are. But that we would walk in freedom. Father, you never saved us for us to walk in bondage, but... You've given us the gift of salvation so that we can walk it out. So, Father, I pray for everybody on this young lady on this altar that feels constrained by the decision she made. They haven't been that long ago. It was, it was recent. So, Father, I pray, oh God, that she wouldn't feel condemned by that decision. But that she would realize that at this moment, you're not angry with her. You love her and you want to see her transformed. Father, I pray for deliverance on this altar. Pray for real deliverance on this altar. Not that fake stuff, but real deliverance. Where we walk with a different swag, not because we're so good, but because you're so good that you would save sinful wretches like us. Father, I pray. Pray for the one that didn't get up. I know. I, I've been here. I know how it feels to just sit and don't want. You, we don't want everybody to end our business. But Father, would you bust up our business? And would you put people around us that will hold us accountable and talk reckless to us because they want to see us in verse 21, but now. So Father, would you do a work in this room? Holy Spirit, do what we can't do. Holy Spirit, do what our words can't do. Our words fall, our eloquence, our lack thereof falls short. It falls in the ears and that's it. But your Holy Spirit goes from the ears into the heart. So Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take control of every person on this altar, from the children to the adults. May our lives be marked by this moment to where people on the outside would look at us and be like, what happened? What, what you used to be? You, you're not the same anymore. And we with confidence be like, I'm not the same. I used to be in chapter one. I used to be in chapter two. But now I've got to the place where you've gotten a hold of me. And so, Father, I pray that from this moment that we would walk away and not live life for ourselves, but live life for you. That you would shine the light through this, through this altar. Through everybody on this altar, that you would 
shine your light, that they would be salt and that they would be light, as Matthew 5 says. So, Father, do it for your glory, not for ours. We don't want any of, not unto us, but unto you get the glory. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. Amen. I mean, let's thank God for these that are on the altar. You may have your seat. We're going to move to a time of communion, but I was serious when I said that this is not just a transitional moment. Those of you who are serving communion, come on up. I was serious when I said that this is not a, tr- a transitional moment that we just pray to get to the next thing. But some of you in this room that didn't get up, I pray that you would hear this passage in your sleep. I genuinely pray you guys can start passing that out. I genuinely pray that you would you wouldn't be able to sleep until you got it right with the Lord. Because God does want you in verse 21, but now.